We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal fall to a valiant 2-1 defeat at Old Trafford, but it's Arsene Wenger that hoists the trophy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I have to admit, as Arsenal have given up on the Premier League season, so too have I given up on those witty introductions. Uh, I literally hit record, and whatever is in my head is what comes out. Uh, and I think we're all the better for it. Uh, Arsene Wenger did receive a trophy, not after the game, but before the game, uh, which presumably can be melted down into uh, whatever metal was used to make it and then uh, turned into bullets that can be fired into Jose Mourinho. But, you know, that's just my idea. Arson can do whatever he wants with it. It was definitely a thrilling and emotional moment as uh, a stadium full of people that once called him a pedophile, and by once I mean for 22 years, uh, cheered him off. You know, I, I think in a way it is a sign of the decline of the man as, uh, in, in terms of his competitiveness that the Old Trafford fans would, would clap him off like that. But we, we can get to that later. I should probably introduce the lone guest who has showed up for this podcast. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. You know, there's another Arsenal podcast where uh, two people just talk to each other. One's James, one's Andrew. They, they, they're on Twitter, too. They have, they, have a, they have a podcast, and it seems fairly successful. So, you know, maybe, they're quite maybe, good, aren't they? I mean, look, what do I know about good podcasts? So you wouldn't want my opinion, but maybe this will catch on. Uh, Tim is at the youth match. It didn't go well. Uh, Scott is on a Disney cruise. I kid you not. Uh, Paul has suffered uh, an athletic injury. 
uh, I kid you not. So, so <laughs> we're on a skeleton crew. Um, but but that's okay because it was a skeleton crew at Old Trafford. So, Clive, look, I think there are a lot of ways we can engage with this. And before we go to the beginning and, and talk about the lineup and the rotation and all of that, I'm curious to get your feeling. I engaged with this match in a weird way. As you know from the uh, audio quality of the last podcast, I was in Florida with my family. I had two feet in the pool while I watched this, sipping a drink with a with an umbrella nice. in it. And, you know, I, maybe it was the environment or maybe it's the situation, but I found it difficult to get too worked up about this game, to be too emotionally invested in this game. And I think ever since Arson has announced that he is leaving, my attitude has kind of been, change is coming. So now it doesn't matter. You, you know, it, it doesn't matter. What are we going to do? We're going to worry about the, the defense isn't organized enough or, you know, our attack is, is too slow and not direct enough. The next manager is going to change all that. All I really have now is kind of evaluating the talent, seeing if I think we have good players or not, and waiting till next season. Now, I admit that's different with the Europa League, but we'll talk about that later. So how did you engage with this match, and, and were you able to get emotionally invested in it? Yeah, but in more in, more in a risk management way, right? I was thinking, okay, this could be a bad one. I didn't want Wenger to get embarrassed. I didn't want the club to be embarrassed. This was a game that we didn't really need. We needed a free week, Thursday to Thursday. He got Manchester United away, and they sort of must have seen our team line up and sort of went, you know what, let's just keep it at 70% today and see what we can get out of it. And we went into it thinking, let's see what we can do and see how it goes. And I think the fans went into it with a sort of, you always walk into a game with a, an emotional level, and that it depended on what's at stake. And there just wasn't enough at stake for you to be too fearful. Right, so you just sort of went into it, sort of closed. But um, it's Manchester United, and when I, you know, when I also play Manchester United, you don't want to get beat. You know, so um, so yeah, I think for many people now, we're in a different places emotionally, and um, I think we're just waiting for something we're just not sure about, and we're spending a lot of time as fans working out what's coming next, who's coming next. And what it will mean for us. And um, no one's 100% sure. Their rumors are flying. But I think that's where people's minds are. Yeah. The fu- future and, uh, and obviously Thursday night. It's like if you're at a job and you put in your two weeks notice and you know you're moving on to a new job. And your boss like gives you crap about something you did in those last two weeks. Like You just can't care because it doesn't matter. It has no going forward ramifications for you, right? So I feel like nothing that happens in the league right now, given that we are rooted to sixth, given that we know this is a poor campaign, given that we know the manager is leaving, there's no outcome that can matter. And so what can matter really, and the only thing that can matter to some extent, is evaluating the players. Now, I I do want to to get your take, and I, I, I think I know it based on your answer. I had no problem with the rotation. I would have arguably gone with heavier rotation. I, I would have potentially rested Bellerin, Shaka, even Mkhitaryan. Now, you could say that Mkhitaryan needed the sharpness. I, I would have played him for 30 minutes. We discussed that last podcast, but we talked about rotating for this game. So do you think he did too much, not enough, or just right? I think he got it just about right. And the ones that he played, forget Mkhitaryan, because he wanted to play him to come back. I felt he kept him on for 20 minutes too long. He got a kick and he made him sort of run through it, which I thought was stupid. And then, and then made a substitution while he was limping. I didn't, I didn't get that. Um, 
But yeah, the two that he plays, let's talk about them for a second. It tells you about their importance, or does it tell you about the lack of cover we have for them? Well, with Bellerin, it's lack of cover, that's for damn sure. (laughs) Yeah, potentially, yeah. But we could do things with holding and play chambers there and things like that. So, But he chose not to. And I think it demonstrates the importance of those two players. I think they they are extremely important to how we play. I think without, you know, with Ozil playing once every two weeks these days, um, the other the other person that drives our team is Shaqam, and whether you like him or not, he's the one that directs the team and he's becoming increasingly influential. I know that um, on the TV over here, they, they ripped him to pieces because of his uh, slide tackle in the, in, in, on the first goal. But he, he does so much for this team, and I, and I think we... Don't quite read him correctly, and um, and the same for Bellerin. I, I you know I can barely imagine an Arsenal team without the pair of them at the moment, right? So um, I think the manager show tells you what's important to him and who he really, really, really can't do without. And then those two players played, and the rest of the rotation. I, I, obviously, the, I'm sure you're going to get to it, but the big story was watching you know, the Greek lad play. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come Panos. to all of the the younger players because I want to break them down all individually. Because I, I do think the biggest takeaway from this game is trying to analyze what we have on our hands, right? I mean, we know that the next manager will set us up differently. We'll you know we'll have different flaws than we have under Arsenal, and we'll have different strengths. But the players will be the players, so it's interesting to kind of evaluate them. I will say that the. To me, Clive, there was a lesson to be learned here, which is maybe that Arson has gotten it wrong in the past with some some of the ways he's rotated. You know, this was a finally, finally, a chance to see the young players used in their strongest positions. Maitland-Niles wasn't playing as wing-back. Reese Nelson wasn't playing at wing-back, right? I mean, the, the young players yeah. that got to play got to play in positions that are more natural to them. And in fact, even Alex Awobi, you, you know, he, he flew under the radar in this game because everyone wanted to talk about Maitland-Niles and Mavropanos, and rightly so, but I thought Awobi was excellent. Wobi was not playing as one of the right forwards where he's terrible or even left forward where his lack of end product hurts us. But he was one of the three in midfield and he linked the play well. He built play well. He, he got out of some tight spots nicely and he, he, he connected things. He stitched things together and that's, that's an important role in the three, but that's not what you need from one of your three forwards. And I, I thought he really excelled as a result of it. So let's start from the back and let's talk about Mavropanos. Is, I will say that yeah. I will say that before you go to the players, mm-hmm. I will say experience is experience, and when you're really young, you can't you can't always choose where you get your minutes. Right? And, um, That's true. And, uh, Arsenal, Arsenal have given more minutes to academy kids in any in the Premier League than any other club in the Premier League this season, and it hasn't been. We all know we all watch the youth players and we read about them, and we know that. Maitland Niles is not a left wing back but maybe the minutes that he had under pressure against Liverpool just before Christmas allows him to play centre midfield under pressure at Old Trafford and do that well if he came in and didn't have those minutes because the centre midfield slot wasn't available he would come in sort of inexperienced a little bit callow and we'd all be wondering about his talent right now so I think there's double there's two sides to it as youth development Minutes is the first thing. Minutes at the level, experience, even travelling with the team, understanding how they prepare, understanding what they do with hotels, being away from home for a game. It's the sort of thing that kids don't do. And they do that first. They travel with the team. They train with the team. They understand how it works, understand what the meetings are like, what the preparation is like. And then they get on the pitch. And then they're able to perform. 
And when they first go on the pitch, sometimes playing out of position is good because what it means is you're not being judged as that player. You're being judged as a first-team player and how you cope. Then when you get into your position, then you're being judged as somebody that's could have a squad shirt and future, then that's yeah. when it becomes more exciting so development has different journeys right and I think the way we do it is not always perfect but again what's your measure for me the measure is minutes in the first team and I think we do that quite well sure I, I don't I don't disagree with that I think you make an interesting point about uh, just being prepared to be on the pitch with the first team and seeing the speed of the game and seeing the physicality yeah. and sort of understanding the nerves and how they're going to affect you we also know that the manager has a long track record of liking his players to play in wide positions, his young players, before yeah. they move to central positions. I mean, he even did it with Nick Bentner, for Christ's sake. Um, but yeah. he, he has a long history. did it with Ramsey. Uh, Oxley Diaby. Obviously, Diaby, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that you know Nelson played right wing back earlier this season in the group stages of the Europa League. Maitland Niles played left wing back uh, in those stages and, and some other games as well. And, and maybe you're seeing the fruits of that education be yeah. borne by the performances that, that they delivered here. So I want to start to work through the performances and we can talk about some of the incidents in the game as well, but cool. we'll start with Mavropanos. And I, I think the Mavropanos chambers pairing on its face had the potential to be a disaster. Um, you know, especially Kolasinac, Nach, who's, who's not been good and not played a lot. And maybe a, a Bellerin who's saving himself in front of Ospina you know, there were a lot of people that told me we can't rotate because the club can't tolerate another 8-2 or 6-0. I never understood the, the, the assumption, the presumption, that because we heavily rotate, we should therefore lose 8-2. Uh, th this is not the United team that scored 8 on us and even heavily rotated. We are not the Arsenal team that conceded 8. But, you know, Mavropanos and, and Chambers worked brilliantly together. And I'm curious what qualities of, of Mavropanos' game impressed you the most in this performance? Yeah, well, hands up, firstly, I'm not, you know, I have criticised Callum Chambers and I've, I've wondered where his seeding is. And, um, and, I, and I still have, I think he's going to be a, a good player. I'm not sure if he's going to be a top-class Champions League player, but in this game, he played really, really well. So, so hands up and fair play to him. But man for Panos now. So why is he so exciting? Right? So, or to me, is exciting. So the first thing you look at, right, is his, um, is his size. So he's 6'3", straight away. He's got the right size. He's quite aggressive. First, first few minutes, ball went down the left-back area. He's won the sprint straight away. Discouraged them. Straight away, he's now discouraged him on the back foot. That's great. Ball comes into Lukaku's feet. He smashed him on the front foot. That means he doesn't mind it in the air. He doesn't mind it over his shoulder. And he doesn't mind going tight as well. And then you look at things and Harry receives the ball. So he receives the ball on his back foot really nice. And then watch him closely. Well, you, I'm, I'm sure people are going to look at the tape now. But if you watch him receiving the ball to goalkeeper, he receives it both feet, no problem, which opens the pitch out. But then he dribbles on the other foot. And he dribbles on left foot, right foot, inside and outside. And that tells you he's got a good technical base, right? So his first step is always to step into the ball, out of his feet, step into the ball and drive. And then he's punching his pass through the lines. And that tells you he's progressive. Coaches always look for that first touch when the ball comes out. They don't want to come into you so you attract people to you to press. You want it to be quite positive. Your touch should be positive and decisive. And now you often hear me say about sending messages. So when when you saw him, this is not clever, by the way. Uh, when you see when you saw him receive the ball, did you feel stressed? 
No, he, he seemed comfortable on it. And just to, to build on that with some statistics, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned Callum Chambers had a good game, and I, I don't think he had a poor game. I will say that he passed at 71%, and he had two unsuccessful yeah. touches. And the, my big one of my big questions with Callum Chambers, especially under pressure and games that have been nerve-wracking for him, we saw it in the first half in that fateful Liverpool performance, um, he just gives the ball away too much. He does not find a teammate with a pass as much as you'd like. I mean, a center back cannot be passing at 71% because all of those uncompleted passes are are potentially putting you under immediate danger. Whereas Mavropanos, to your point, he only played 37 passes, not a ton, but 92% passing, clean with the ball. Yeah. No unsuccessful touches, no dispossessed. I mean, he was clean and comfortable on the ball. Do you know the reason for that? Callum I Chambers. don't. No, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you now. The worst, the worst thing that ever happened to Callum Chambers, in my opinion, was John Stones, because when Callum Chambers first came to Arsenal, Stones was just appearing at the same time, and he was appearing as a, a relaxed, cool as a cucumber centre back. And Callum Chambers was actually quite leggy, quite progressive, quite energetic, and I feel he slowed his game down slightly. So when he receives the ball, he he, he tries to give the impression of, I'm really relaxed but really what he's doing is he's telegraphing his movements and that's why his passing is a little bit more um, not as accurate and to be fair to him he does take responsibility on the more riskier longer passes I have seen him in the preseason actually come on the Emirates Cup and, and I, I got good view of him second half of the games and some of his passing was unbelievably accurate and really really good so he has got that in him but I feel sometimes he just lacks a bit of urgency in possession and people can read you and they pick you off right they can read your movements as soon as you look up and then look down to the ball they move where your eyes went and the picture's already changed and so when you play the pass the passing lane is gone right so um, whereas Mavropanos now is a bit more positive and he's a bit more decisive, and that means the passes go through. And that's just, I've only seen the one game, but it's just something that I felt. And you can watch the way someone frames the ball, the way they frame it with their body, and then you can just see that they're in control. And then, and then people give them time when they see that, because they know there's not a dispossession chance. And it's just funny, in football, you send messages to people. You send messages to your teammates, you send messages to the opposition, you send messages to the crowd and who are watching. And the message I got from Manfred Panos is, we have got something there. If you look at it, it, everything about his physicality, his leg length, everything about his sprinting speed, where the hell did we find this boy from? Well, that's I your mean, boy. That's your boy, Sven Diamond Eyes. <laughs> you know, you don't find things like that for a couple million quid. You just don't. You know, so that is, you know, it's one game, but the, but you can see it. You can see why. You can see the potential. And more importantly, the ceiling is huge. If you look at his shoulders, they're still narrow. He's got lots of growing to do physically, into strength-wise, muscle power-wise. But he's got the basic speed, the basic physicality, and decisiveness. And I, I'm really, really excited about where he could be in a couple of years' time. Yeah, and I am as well. And I, the only thing I will say in response to that is that, I mean, I felt that way about Holding when he broke through. You know, when he first played for us, I felt that way about Chambers when he very first played for us. I, I am being careful because. We have seen these guys get introduced and yep. the adrenaline and the newness and the energy of, of being new and other teams really not knowing what kind of defender they are sometimes carries them through. And when that subsides, yep. it's not good enough. Having said that, I, I don't think that Arsene Wenger shepherds young defenders along in their career very well. And so yep. it may be 
a stroke of luck that Mavropanos gets to come into the team after the Arsene Wenger era, you know, or, or at the very end of it, um, now at the turning of the tide. So I think that big those are all encouraging. Big things. difference made between holding Chambers and Mavropanos is speed. Yeah. That's all. Well, it's just speed. And from a very, very, very limited example, I would say uh, quality on the ball. Just comfort and quality on the ball. Now, I, I will say what I liked about Mavropanos, you know, everybody was telling me about his physicality and the way he handled the duels and, you know, he, he was strong and, and assured. You know what I liked about him a lot, Clive? He was switched on. You know, Mustafi drives me nuts because he just, he does silly shit. He does silly switched off shit. Mavropanos, how many times did a ball go in, you know, a deep long ball into our box where he was aware of the player behind him, he was aware of the threat, he tracked a runner, you know, he didn't get caught in space. You know, and, and that I think is so important, that awareness, because I am convinced that any Premier League level athlete can be physically, physically can be a central defender. I don't think any of these guys, I don't think Chambers, I don't think Holding, I don't think Koscielny, I don't think Mustafi, I don't think Mavropanos, yeah. I don't think any of them physically are incapable of being defenders. I think mentality, aggression, awareness, the ability to focus and concentrate about every square inch of your pitch around you for 90 minutes, that's what makes defenders. Seeing the game before it happens so you know where the players are going, having a sixth sense about who's behind you, and he seemed to have that. He read the game really well. And I, I think that is encouraging because to me, that says you're a natural born defender. You know, more than your physicality, more than your, your physical skills, which can be taught. Yep. I think that, that says you're a defender. Is that about cover yeah, I mean, for you? Yeah, it does. It does. And at this moment in time, we can only judge the player and what he does in isolation. I think, you know, projecting forward, it's going to be interesting to see when we have a defensive strategy that's not based on individuals' talents or ability to survive a lack of defensive strategy. And that's how we've had to judge our centre-backs historically. And the only one that survived it has been Koscielny, and he's just about to die, right? So um, no one else has really done it for a few years, right? So, um, so <laughs> yeah, we just need one, more, one or two more games out of him, then we can put him out to pasture, right? So um, Because we've run him into the ground. He's had to be two centre-halves at times to cover for his partners and cover for the fact he's had no full-backs. And he's been a wonderful, wonderful player that's just running out of energy, right? So, so it'll be interesting to see if we can build centre halves based on a more pragmatic structure. And that sounds like a bit of a, a buzzword, but it's more of a collective way of defending with more two-way players that can that help protect the back four, which doesn't leave them so exposed. Yeah. Well, let, let me give you sort of a question about tactics here. So, you know, the way we've been playing this year with Shaka Ramsey in midfield and Ozil at the 10, we've really had a two-man midfield. And we've seen what that's meant for our balance. And then you, know, then you wind up with, you, know, you, you name it, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, or um, you know, uh, Aubameyang, Danny Welbeck, and Alex Wobie, wh whoever it is in the front three. This game, we had a midfield three. We had Shaka, Iwobi, Maitland-Niles. And I thought Maitland-Niles was fantastic. I thought Awobi was fantastic. And Granite Shaka will get a lot of criticism. If he gets any for the second goal, I think that's absolutely shameful. For the first goal, he deserves it because I don't know what the hell he was doing. That was just silly bullshit. But yeah, you know, decision. He, he had almost double the passes of anyone on the team. He was accurate with his passing. He, he had key passes. He was instrumental in the build-up to our goal. But how influential do you think it was? And, and what did you think of us playing with a more 
possession-oriented technical midfield trio as opposed to our sort of usual Shaka Ramsey Ozil trinity? Well, the first thing you said there, you said they were a trio. And um, I sometimes feel with Shaka, Ozil and Ramsey, who are obviously you know, very, very good players, I don't always feel they play connected. No, Ramsey right, so, likes to run off the ball to go wherever. Ozil finds whatever space he thinks is available, and Shaka tries to cover the 40 yards of pitch in the middle of it. Exactly. And as soon as he makes a bad tackle, we slaughter him. Right, So um, bad decision, which probably comes under the fact that he can see loads of green grass around him. And when he sees that, he slides in. This is not new. He's done it from the moment he comes. When he feels exposed, when he feels no one's near him or he feels desperate, he goes to ground. Right, He's done it from the first moment. Sometimes connecting, sometimes not connecting, sometimes in a yellow card, sometimes with a red card. He's always done it when he's felt, when he's felt naked. Right, so um, and so, what we saw was a bit more of a unit. If anything, on that first goal, I was wondering why Shaka was sort of tucked in left back. If he'd have held the middle, he would have been able to block that in a more controlled way. So I don't know how he ended up there. If he was support line running to, for a pass, but I think that's what we need to think about. We have these wonderful players that we fit in, but really, we should be thinking about the unit. And this sort of midfield reminded me a little bit of the midfield that we played at Southampton in the FA Cup a couple of years ago, which was also a unit of three players working together, quite athletic across the ground. And that sort of didn't allow us to be overrun, you know. So um, I think um, Iwobi, I, I feel Iwobi had, I judged him slightly more harshly, not because he didn't do well. He just thought I wanted him to really grab the game. To really show that, yeah, I've got more experience than my partner here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show him the way. I'm gonna dominate the ball. I'm gonna make sure I drive them back. He didn't quite do that, but he didn't let anybody down neither, and he's and he worked quite hard. So I'm not gonna criticise him. I thought Jacker was was an absolute leader on the day, and I know he made some glaring errors, but he was the one that was holding that team together. You know, he was there for everybody else to give the ball to to get them out of trouble. Mm-hmm. He was working hard defensively. He was playmaking. We had our playmakers out. And so he was playmaking, defending, and doing the most passes and creating the most chances. So, and had the most ball recoveries. So I thought he had a really interesting game. And lots of people are talking about um, the next captain. And I'm going to be controversial here, right? And, the, and this guy, I think he captains his country or has done. He's 25 years of age. He's got leadership potential, in my opinion. And um, and so, yeah, also nothing can, no, no one can tell what's going to happen in the future. We don't know who the major is going to be, if he's, if he's going to even like him, or he's going to see him as a saleable asset. But it didn't upset me to see him with a captain's armband. And I think we've just got to project forward and think, well, this guy's doing it every single week he turns up and plays. Every week, well, without fail. I mean, I, yes, he's he's played just played a mountain of minutes. One of the best abilities is availability. He's always available when he's not on a red yeah. card, which admittedly hasn't been ages. And yeah, I think there's a lot to like about him. Look, if he keeps playing eighty to one hundred to one hundred and thirty passes a game at ninety percent, along with you know being progressive with his passing and generally not being a complete dumpster fire defensively, I love the guy. The problem was he went through. January, February, and March, passing at sixty-eight percent. You know, and, yeah. and that—that that was really where where maybe, I became concerned because when this guy doesn't pass well, you suddenly lose the benefit of having him in your side. Yeah, so maybe maybe we we play him through the fatigue. 
you know and maybe that point we need to say when we when he does start to drop off rather than playing through because he's so important can we get someone else in to just to to give him a rest so he gets his freshness back you know so maybe it's just that i think he's a, he interests me a lot actually i was talking to 7am kickoff on online the last couple of days and we were debating him and um i sort of came to a conclusion that we he, everything he said was correct as he normally is correct but i think a lot of this comes down to context and how we judge players and what our starting point is right for a lot of people shaka is the player that kante isn't if you see what I mean. We could have got Kante, we got Shaka. So straight away, they look at him and think, well, he can't get across the ground, he can't sprint, he can't tackle the same way, and he, and he makes a defensive error. So we so we criticise him. And then and then I look at him and say, okay, well, you're a deep-line playmaker. So, right? so, great, are you playmaking? Are you keeping the ball? Are you getting on the ball enough? And are you moving us forward? Can you improve your defensive side, which I think he has done? And all, for me, all he needs to be better is to have the security blanket of somebody next to him that actually can really work hard, is quite dominant physically in a more box-to-box, but with the ball at feet way, rather than, rather than vacating way. Do you see what I mean? I do. I think, um, I think Ramsey would be perfect with a player like that, a connecting player, because then Ramsey can do what he does, which he push people back with running power and break it into spaces which are hard to track. But I don't, although Shaq and Ramsey is still our best centre midfielder partnership, I do think it's not a unit. It's just not a unit that's going to get us to the elite levels that we well, need to get to. And, and that, there's a real problem. And it's, it's not Arson's problem anymore, but it is a problem. You have Ramsey, Shaka, and Ozil. You're going to start them. But that's not a midfield three. It's not. So do you play a back three and use Shaka and Ramsey as the midfield two? Maybe you do. Do you push Ozil up into one of those wide forward positions and let him play a free role to move around behind two strikers and use Shaka and Ramsey? I don't know. The problem is you saw how effective a midfield trio can be, and I want to give you a little microcosm of of how this worked. Um, Not give you like you don't know this because you you know it and and anything I say is, is obviously, you know, just me building on things you already know, but... Look, look at Mkhitaryan's game and look at Iwobi's game. I thought Mkhitaryan was yeah. fantastic. I really did. Yeah. Mkhitaryan passed at 71%. He was dispossessed five times. You know what yeah. game that is? That's the Alexis game. That's the game yeah. we used to kill Alexis for. But what Mkhitaryan did, he had three shots. He had four dribbles. He had five. He was fouled three, four, five times. You know, statistics. They can be whatever you say. Um, you know, he, he scored the goal that, that really should have given us a point at Old Trafford. He had the kind of game a forward should have. When Alex Iwobi got out there in this game, he played midfield, and he did it brilliantly. He passed at 93%. He had no crosses. He had no key passes. He had no shots. But you know what? He wasn't dispossessed, and he passed accurately. He connected. He linked. He dribbled a couple times. He kept it ticking over. He stitched it together. He gave it to Mkhitaryan to create opportunities. He gave it to Reese Nelson. And I liked seeing Awobi do that. He was progressive, but he was clean with the ball. The problem is, Alex Awobi has that game, but he has that game when he's playing forward. And that's no good. You need the Mkhitaryan game. You need 71% passing because he's trying hard stuff. You need three shots and four dribbles and five dispossessed you need a guy who is trying to create end product and Mkhitaryan was and he did and so I think what we saw from Awobi is these qualities he has of being able to be clean on the ball being able to be technically sound stitch things together 
keep it ticking yep. over all the, the cliches. They work in a midfield three. They don't work when he's one of the wide forward positions. Mkhitaryan gave us a game much more emblematic of what or, or, or uh, analogous to what uh, Alexa Sanchez used to give us. But that's okay if you have a competent, uh, secure midfield. And we did on this day because um, Shaka passed at 90%. It will be passed at 93%. And Maitland-Niles passed at 92%. So a very clean, very secure midfield trio. So let's get on to Maitland-Niles. Th- this is a player that, for me, really underwhelmed in a few key chances this season to win his spot. He had a terrible game against Ostersunds at home in the second leg and and really probably kept him from being in the team more, put us in the position where we could have crashed out at that at that point, and I felt for him. But I thought he was, and he was awarded, man of the match in many ways on this day. 20 years old, playing in the center of our midfield at Old Trafford, showed athleticism, creativity, a quick touch, secure on the ball. How impressed were you with him in a position where, if we're being honest, he hasn't always been this exciting, but he was very exciting this day. Yeah, I, I, you know, I must admit, I've sort of been a big fan of him for many, many years now. Um, and I just happened to see him once. You know, sometimes when you see a player, you, you see him live and you see them just jump out of you. You just don't forget them. And um, and I saw him when he was younger and I just couldn't believe how quick he was, how physically perfect he looked at that age group and um, and just how he just made the game look so easy so he just sort of stood out he was jogging through the game I saw and um, and, and I've seen him play some England youth games he's played number 10 he's played number 8 he's played on the wing we found a position for him at fullback and then introduced him into a team that way but he was always going to be in centre midfield it's quite interesting that Wenger said that he saw him as Cockerland sort of deputy as more of a sprinting tackler and he showed that he can win his duels one-on-ones in wide areas and I thought that's really smart I can probably see him developing that way but really I mean I, I, I sort of see him more like a a more progressive Victor Wanyama I said it before I, I see him with, as he develops if he gets more size being that type of player that's what I was that's where I was about six months ago but then he showed a much more sort of you know, eight and a half type skill sets. He won't be type skill sets that I didn't really expect would show up at the first team level at uh, 1920 against Paul Pugba and Ando Herrera. I didn't think he'd be able to show the quickness of thought, have pictures and be able to pass the teammates under pressure. I just didn't see that coming. To have the bravery to drive and run into the box. And this has all come to the minutes at his hands. I've, I felt he's played a little bit conservatively. I think he's been quite quiet and, it, and I wanted him to have a more a proactive personality on the game because he's got a lot more in him than what he's actually showed you know he has not showed hardly anything of the speed and physicality which he could show if he was to let it all go and I think yesterday was the closest against Manchester United to him really doing some repeat work and really wearing his man down and also I mean, there was one bit where Matic tried to run him on the touchline and then Matic just gave up you know, because there's just no point. And, uh, and when you see a player discourage opposition like that and then just stroke the ball out the other side, then you say to yourself, OK, I've got to give this guy a bit of room because he can run me and I can't run him. So what I've got to do is my uh, my opponent, you know, Matish was just quite smart. He just goes and gets the ball short. He tries to pull him out of his holes and then move out. They move around him that way. So he's got a lot of experience 
to learn. He mustn't be pulled out of his position when people are trying to, you know, sucker him in and do little short passes and pop round him. No matter how quick he is, he's not quicker than the ball. And so once they get behind him, he's gonna. He thinks he can recover. Well, it's not youth football. You can't recover. He can't catch Paul Popper when he's lucky five yards ahead. So things like that, positioning, knowing when to go in, once he learns that, then the future's incredibly bright, but he's not a surprise no longer. Everyone's talking about him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the encouraging thing on this day is it's very hard for academy players to make it in the first team at all. It's even harder for them to be special and, and become a part of the first team on a, a winning yeah. or challenging first team squad and there were some things in this game whether it was Mavropanos whether it was Maitland-Niles that, that encouraged you to think maybe just maybe we have a few young players that if they are how they look they might be that wasn't English but you just take the spirit of the, of, of the sentence <laughs> I, do, I, got um, you. I got you then it saves us resources that can be used in other places and, and used more effectively uh, one place we will be using resources is goalkeeper David Ospina is how shall I say this <laughs> Um, genetically, genetically challenged when it comes to being a keeper. So look, the, for me, the second goal is on him. But there was there was a moment I don't remember who it was. Someone shoots from a very, very wide position and it goes off the post and out. You remember it was a United player from the their left wing who would have been down there. Oh, um, was it Ashley Young? It, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been yeah. like a really acute angle, and he shoots and it hits the post and it, go, it goes out. Now look. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is, watch Ospina. He's standing on his goal line, and as that shot kind of comes towards him, he starts to do his stagger back into the goal thing, and it hits the post and goes yeah. off. But, like, he's in no position to make any kind of goalkeeping effort. And I just, I am routinely baffled by his positioning. Now, he does some things well. He's quick off line. His distribution's not terrible. He can be a very good shot, shot stopper. Look, the reason David Ospina is a professional goalkeeper and not whatever someone with his body shape does when they're not playing football is because he is agile. He can get off his feet quickly to, to react, but his body position is so poor that he undermines himself. And so for that second goal, Clive, you know, he he can't fix the fact that he's small any more than I can. No. But he cannot be kind of crouching, leaning back weirdly. Like, why is, is the fault in his starting position and, and his reaction? I, I think he's a player that comes into certain games concentrating and, and other games not. I honestly believe that I, 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 he's one of those strange signings. I just don't have any confidence in, in him. Uh, he has one good game, one bad game, much like a lot of our players, and that tells you about the accountability and the, and the standards. He, he just, he's just a average goalkeeper but I almost don't let me say this when I, when I was single and I used to go out to the bar and try to meet meet people for uh, mating I would uh, I would wear cowboy boots <laughs> because at the time I was living in Nashville and so it was totally normal to wear cowboy boots but they they also add like like a good two inches to your height and uh, this can be yeah, an affecting yeah, yeah. mating strategy so do, do you think we should let him play in cowboy boots is this is this maybe the solution do I need to get on the horn now to Arsenal here yeah, well, with goalkeepers, it's a lot of how they make you feel, right? And, and um, when goalkeepers make you make you not look at them, then you know you got a good goalkeeper. If you're watching your TV, you're just looking at your goalkeeper all the time. That tells you you got a problem. And and when he's hot, he surprises you. But when he's cold, he he sort of meets your expectations. And um, and it's interesting that Czech. I'm not sure if Czech's injured or 
you know, we'll, you know, I would personally play Czech where we're going to have to really defend our box and dominate our box in Thursday. periods. Yeah, I, I, he's got to. Well, what's with Ospina getting surely. injured every time he plays? Like, fake injured. Like, the guy must have the most brittle bones in the world. Like, what is going on with him? He's like that character from the movie Unbreakable, but the breakable one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Every every game he plays, the trainer's on, right? So <laughs> your, your goalkeeper should be like one of those people that when they get hurt, they just like throw it off and, and be dominant. When he gets hurt, he rolls around crying, fixes his gloves, he's on the floor. Coach, come on, come on. If you're the attacking team, you're thinking, let's just put the ball under his crossbar and smash him about. And again, he's just, he just wreaks vulnerability. Hey, look, he, he is what he is. What he is. We, we know that things, we hope that situation is going to change. I am. I, I do like Peter Cech. I think he's a, he's a great person. Uh, people like him should not be walking out of our club with one year to go. We should keep him for another year and then he can go off on a free transfer and do what he wants to do or he can go into coaching. But um, Ospina, just let him go and, and obviously buy a goalkeeper to replace, which we check can mentor. Check becomes the second, maybe the cup keeper, and we, we mentor somebody into the first team role. I haven't mentioned Reese Nelson. Is it fair to say that he did nothing wrong and nothing right, that this was sort of another game where he, he got through it, he, he did his part, but hard to hard to take away too much from it that he was overshadowed maybe by some of the other younger players yeah he's playing against a strong player and um i, th- I think he did he did okay i think um again he spent time at wing back so defensively he's more astute now so he didn't leave any holes he works back really well because he's learned that from his wing back position i think it's something that i wish he Wobi could learn I wish he could learn the defensive side of his game because if he added that to his game, defensive awareness and just the ability to tackle, I think he becomes a two-way player. Then you start to see his strength. You start to see the fact that when he goes man-on-man into contact, he can keep the ball. But what happens with the Wobi, he just wants the ball in certain situations what suits him. He wants it nicely on the half turn so he can do a little shake and bake and then he can dance off, move it, follow it, he wants it a certain way. And I wish almost that he had spent some time either in a wide situation defensively or a deep situation just so he can learn how to defend. Because if he can add that and become a two-way player, then we start to look at him differently. We start to trust him a little bit more. And he can do that. I remember the Chelsea game, Chelsea away game, when it was when it was um, Shaka Ramsey, Iwobi, Welbeck, and he did a very disciplined defensive role from the right-hand side. So he can definitely track people, but if he can be more defensively trusted from a central area, we start to see a different player. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I just, I would be devastated if Mkhitaryan can't play Thursday again. I was, I was very impressed with him, and even though he gave the ball away a lot, had a lot of passes not be completed, everything direct and progressive that we did, including the goal, yeah. involved him, and he just has that dynamism that we lack without him. Uh, he... He has a little he more end product. Yeah, he carries he the ball. Can, He's a little more direct. I just he is not the player I thought at all. He is not the technician really that I thought he was, but he is so much more direct and uh yeah. potent the final third. I think we need him. We need him Thursday. We need it to be Lacazette, Wellbeck, and Mkhitaryan up there, and I, I hope it will be. But uh to finish with this game just really quickly, a couple things. First of all, a game to forget for Aubameyang. If I hadn't mentioned him right now, it'd be easy to literally forget that he was on the pitch. Do you think because of the type of player he is, we have to acknowledge that 
there just are going to be days like this for him that he doesn't need a lot of opportunities to change a game, but there are going to be games where, much like a Theo Walcott, you just hardly notice he's on the pitch. I didn't see him as that type of player, actually. And I, I think um, he's, he's every, every ground is new. Every occasion is new. So he's still settling in. This is almost like a free, a free part of his football life at the moment. But I would like to see him sort of say, well, actually, I'm a 28-year-old proper player that's played in Champions League. And we've gone here with a, with a fairly scratched team. And I'm one of the more senior pros. And I would have liked to see him you know, try a bit harder, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, just try to show some leadership um, rather than just running around smiling and, you know and sort of... The only thing I'll maybe say, that's just the way he is. He's, know, someone, way he is. he's someone who needs a really good number 10, doesn't he? I mean, I know not that the 10 is the only person that could connect with him, but we didn't have a specialist out there in yeah. putting putting in that dagger ball, you know, that, that, that ball that he could run into. And there were a couple yeah. of positions and cases now... You know, I thought Maitland-Niles was excellent, but he had one counterattack, for example, where there were a lot of good runners, and he kind of put it between everybody out yeah, for out that. for a. I think it went out for a throw, even. Um, yeah. And so there were a couple of cases where Aubameyang was making interesting runs and was pushing the the defenders back on their heels in transition, and we just didn't have that player that he could thrive on on their distribution in this game. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a bit harsh, really. I think. Um, What's interesting about him is uh, he doesn't stay central very long. He does move into wide areas. He does move around looking for that weak body to run off. And I think um, I think partnerships are really important to him to work with other people that he trusts. And um, maybe he didn't have that enough. Maybe he missed an Ozil slightly to somebody who he knew he can trust and work from. But um, it's not a criticism. Every game is different. And he did fine. He gave us, he gave us a 6 out of 10, right? Yeah. Um, I would like the header to have gone in or at least look a bit more, you know, clinical. But um, I, I don't know. I wish he could play Thursday. Right? Yeah, so, um, <laughs> you'd have him back out there if you could. I mean, this is a guy playing, exactly. you know, whatever it is, 12 or 13 preseason friendlies before before the end of the season. Um, yeah. Well, just to put a bow on this, I, I mean, Fellaini gets this weird looping back header with help from Shaka. I, I have sympathy for Shaka. He can't jump with Fellaini. That you can't ask him to do that. And I don't think it was defended that poorly. I think a good goalkeeper gets there. I think it's just one we're just of those. Too deep. Yeah, it, we're just too deep. Maybe. And a good goalkeeper. What happens there? A good goalkeeper says, clears his area. Yeah, you clear just your area. Punches so you Fellaini in the back of the head. You can come and take it. <laughs> and so any touch that close to your goal is going to potentially go in. So um, hey, look, we were we were late on hanging on. And everyone creeps back towards their goal naturally. It's not all, only the goalkeeper's fault; defenders do it too. And so, and Flaney's great at you know getting on diagonals. He needed it about five minutes beforehand, and he just pushed us back. And um, yeah, it's a shame, but um, fair enough. I wasn't too disappointed because the positives far outweighed uh, Manchester United kicking up to the big man. I sometimes feel that maybe some of their fans or would have been more excited to see Maitland-Niles and Manfred Panos play for Manchester United than watching Mourinho bring on Fellaini and try to yeah, score Sam, a goal Sam like his part football. Of, of winning a football match. Yeah, I, look, I I don't think a club our size should ever be looking at moral victories. And I have never been a believer that we should have a moral victory. But given that we're changing managers, given that we heavily rotated, given that we are away at Old Trafford against a full-strength 282-trillion-pound squad, I don't think it's awful to say, you know what? 
we played well. The youngsters played well. We were in it. There was very little between them. Sometimes when there's very little between you, the breaks don't go your way. We lost to a jammy goal at the end, and I'm not going to lose my rag over that when the really important match is Thursday because ultimately getting that point at Old Trafford would have proven what exactly. You know, I have seen better Arsene Wenger sides get battered by lesser Manchester United sides. So, you know, I mean, and those were aggravating moments. I, I can remember, I think it was an FA Cup tie at Old Trafford where Ferguson put out like eight defenders and we put out a full-strength side, and they just, like, I think they beat us 2-0 or something, just comfortably pushed us aside like we weren't even there. Those were depressing times. This was not that. Uh, it's not depressing, but I, I will say that um, there, was a, there was a quote a few years ago when Patrice Evra called Arsenal like a finishing school, like a, somewhere you go to finish off your football education, and but they're not really serious. And I would like, I look forward to the day when we go to that ground with a serious football team that we can take them apart and, sure. and we can and I look forward to that day but we're going to have to do are, it with one tenth the resources I mean let's not fool ourselves right like we shouldn't feel entitled to have a better squad or certainly a, a more no. expensively assembled squad than United will at any point in our near future but we can be smart and we've always used to be smart like to so. we we used to be the team that used to sell players to Barcelona and Real Madrid on, and 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 now not, they're not looking for our players right so we used to be smarter about how we recruited how we developed to a point where we would always have somebody in the PFA team of the year or somebody that's really one of the best two players in the league we just haven't got that at the moment Right? And um, and and we are the team that everyone <laughs> look forward to playing against in the league, especially away from home this year. But I know that's a point in time. It's not. It's not who we are, and that will change. But I look forward to the day when it does. Sure, right? and, and and that's the measure. And I would only take issue with the idea that we we did have one of those players. It was Alexis Sanchez, and Manchester United came yeah. for him and took him. And I do think Mesut Ozil is in or around that category. And I think by the middle of next season, we might be saying that Aubameyang is is squarely in that category. I think yep. if Aaron Ramsey stays and continues the trajectory he's on right now, he could be in that category. So I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily even as far away as we think. And it may be the case that as much as I love Arsene Wenger, and I do love Arsene Wenger, that he went from being a manager who hugely improved us to a manager who got us about to par to a manager who is now getting us below par or above par in the golf. You, you, you know what I mean? Because golf, it's the, yeah. the above par is bad. So yeah, the above par. Uh, but you know, anyway, so I think um, I, I think we will see. Look, let's let's move on from this. I don't, you know, again, had we gotten the draw, would I feel better? Of course I would feel better. Would it make any difference in any way? I, I just, I, I struggle to see what the difference would really be other than Jose and some United fans would be less happy and that certainly would be great. Um, some quick thoughts on Thursday. So, I mean, I have I have really very little to say about how to approach this match because I don't know how much you can take from what happened last Thursday and apply it to what's going to happen this coming Thursday, except to say that I really think we need Mkhitaryan. I think we need to go out with an idea to go get goals, that getting goals puts them under more pressure than anything. We have to score to go through anyway. You get two, you get three, you get four, you go through. You know, they can, they get one, it still doesn't matter. We discussed that on the last podcast. So, I mean, you said you'd go with Czech. I agree with you. I don't know that he will, but I agree with you. 
You know, I mean, if you told me Mavropanos was playing instead of Mustafi, I know it wouldn't happen, and I know it would be crazy. Honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but do you expect to see the same side just with Mkhitaryan come in for Wilshire, maybe? Maybe, but I just got a feeling that Mkhitaryan's going to be injured. I just got that feeling. Um, hey. he, he, seemed to, uh, he seemed to go down, and it seems to be the same, potentially the same injury again, and that's why I don't understand why we, we kept him on, but... No doubt that'll come out tomorrow. But the other one player I'm looking at in this game, I'm looking at Meza Ozil. That's what I'm looking at. I'm thinking, okay, mate, you negotiated your your max salary, yeah, your max contract. You negotiated it. Well done. Um, and now there are times when you have to turn up and earn that money. right? And if there's ever a moment in the season when he needs to put in a unbelievable stellar performance, this is it. And and he didn't do that much in the first leg, and and maybe also neither did Ramsey, but maybe partly that was because of how the game, the story went, and the fact that they barricaded the box, so there's no room for him to run into, to, to be as dangerous as he normally can be, although he nearly scored. But I'm, I think Ramsey will play better naturally away from home when the game's more transitional and there's more spaces to run into when teams will come on to us. But Meza Ozil has to play well. And, and that's the key. I think Lacazette will play well. I think Welbeck will play well. But I'm looking at Mesut Ozil because he's a difference maker. He can create chances on any football pitch at any time in the world. And if he creates the right chances, the right quality, we score two goals, we're going to go through. right? So I'm looking at him. Um, what would I do? I, I, I almost wish... Um, I almost wish that Maitland-Niles and Iwobi were further ahead in their development because I would play them ahead of Jack for a game where we're going to need to work very hard in central areas to match them. But they're not quite there yet, so Jack will play, and um, and he'll do a good job of ball retention and, and keeping the ball. And again, he needs to play well. He's got a lot on. If you want to go to the World Cup, the world will be watching him, so he needs to play well. It's all there for us, right? Motivations are there. They're playing for the manager. They've, they've kept them on nice contracts. They need to produce. There's no hiding place. And I have to say, I did get the sniff of a ticket for this game, and I, I, I didn't quite accept it. I sort of wish I now it's getting closer. And oh, I, I know people who are going. I feel like this is going to be a really, really special night, and, I, and I'm going to miss it. I hope it is for all the right reasons. Um, I, I just think it's as simple as if Mkhitaryan, if Mkhitaryan can't start, we can't win. I, I think we should play this game to win it. Winning this game gets you through at any score. Mm. Um, playing to win means you're playing for goals, and, and goals get you through. Uh, so I you know, I know this is all really advanced stuff I'm espousing here. But <laughs> yes. I, I, would, uh, I, I think Mkhitaryan is a key. I think that whatever Jack Wilshere's qualities, and I, and I fully acknowledge he was much, much, much better in the first leg than I anticipated, and really very good. I don't yeah. think he's Mkhitaryan. I don't think he brings that threat. I don't think he brings that end product. I don't have to say the word think. He does not bring those things. Uh, and I think that Mkhitaryan is a dream partner for Lacazette because he will get more advanced, because he will get into the box and pull the ball back. And Lacazette is clinical in those positions. And I think to prize open a defense that is so well organized, you need an extra player who who has the end product, and he's the guy. So I, I think that's it. And I, I believe that we will go with pretty much the same everywhere else. I wish Bellerin hadn't played at the weekend because I think wide spaces are so important against Atleti, and, and Bellerin is a player who relies on his pace and his, his energy and his physicality, you know, his, his physical traits 
to get through games. Um, so I, yep. I, I think a fresh Bellerin against a team that can be exploited in wide spaces would have been really helpful. But we um, we will face Diego Costa, I'm assuming. That is not something any of us are looking forward to with Koscielny and Mustafi uh, manning the defense, or at least attempting yeah. to. So They'll have a, a much greater central presence now, won't they? They'll have someone to hit. Point. Yep. Yeah, and, to and roll then off win off. second, you know, win se- second balls, right? So it's going to be yeah. let Costa go win it and let Griezmann run onto it. And that's where you also worry about that ramsey Shaka pairing, because if Shaka has a weakness, defending the second ball is not his strength. Um, you know, I, yeah, I just worry I, we, about that. We, we, we need to play. We need to play like, like a three to start with, with you know Ramsey, Jack, and Shaka as a as a real three, and um, and just keep Ozil as the exit, and just keep Welbeck and Welbeck as high as possible, and Lacazette connecting. And I think let's just start the game like that and have a look at the game and take it in ten minute chunks. But you know what those players have, you know, and they do have the ability to see the moment you know they all do they all have the ability to see the moment what i want them to do what i'm not so sure about is can they feel the moment when we when we need to when we're being a little bit overrun can they close the distances and can they be secure on the ball if tim was here now he'd say technical security is the key and i think after watching athletic play last week what they do very carefully is they look at your mistakes and they work from your mistakes and i think accuracy first touch decision-making, when to turn them around versus when to play square. These are the things that we need to be really, 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 really smart with. Don't do stupid things in your own half. Don't give second efforts to them. Don't give them a chance to have one, two passes and go in. I think if we can do that and we can exit out nicely and we make good decisions on the transition, and we've got a chance. I think we will scare them. I think they're scared of Lacazette. They wanted to buy him. He played brilliant in the first leg. He's rested. That's quite interesting that he was absolutely rested. I think he is the key, absolutely the key with Ozil. And I think if we get them to at any level, we might stand a chance. I really feel we stand a chance. Yeah, well, I, I hope you're right. What's your score prediction? Uh, I said 1-1 extra time penalties, but I'm going more towards um, like 2-1 Arsenal for this one. I've just got a feeling we're going to score the two goals and win it by the, the odd goal. Let's say 3-1 Arsenal. Um, and with that, they're not that good. They're not that good, mate. No, trust they, me. You know, I mean, I don't think they're very good, personally. Uh, and that's what's important. So, look, we, we've come to the end of the podcast. <laughs> we'll try to get the whole gang together after this game. I, I have to say I have felt very sanguine about the, the football lately just because, you know, with change coming and some players I really like in this squad, I, I kind of look forward to next season as a new beginning and I've been feeling pretty good about it. That's all coming crashing down this Thursday. I am going to shit myself senseless if that that's not even a yeah. thing. That's a new idiom. You can use it. You can borrow it. Shit yourself senseless over this game. I am <laughs> I am I am bricking it as they would say and it is it is a big big occasion and the, the fear is if somehow we get through it, the fear is that it somehow winds up being too big an occasion and, and we have a letdown in the final, which would be unbearable. But in any event, let's uh, jump off that bridge when we come to it. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. At the FBAs on the Twitters. At the FBAs. They have a website. You can go to it. You can vote for this podcast to win an award. And if it wins the award, I have offered full body hugs to everyone that votes. Um, you have to provide airfare and lodging. In any event, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Atletico Madrid, nil.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.